This program is brought to you by Bobbleway Media, under the oversight of the elders of the Chipman Road Congregation in Lee Summit, Missouri. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to the program. This is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue our studies today in the book of Romans chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 19. You know, all of us go through pain and suffering in this life. We're faced with the decision to follow God or follow the world because some of that pain and some of that suffering will have to do with our personally suffering persecution. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12 and said, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So how can we stand all the pain and all the suffering, possibly the torture, that we must endure in this life? Well, that's where we're going to begin our study today in Romans chapter 8. We look at verse 18 again and we understand that there's a better life to come. Paul writes there, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see, the wonderful life that is to come. In Revelation 21.4, we have a description of that life. Revelation 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. That is the wonderful life that is to come for those who are faithful to God. We find the beauty of the life that is to come in John 14, verses 1 through 3. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus there said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. The wonderful life to come. We have a better country waiting for us. As the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews 11.16. Hebrews 11.16 there speaking says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. But you know, all of the descriptions of heaven that God gives us in the scriptures cannot fully describe how wonderful eternity in heaven will be. But God has tried to reveal to us how wonderful it will be. In Romans 8, 19 through 23, we see deliverance and redemption from sin. In Romans 8, 19, we find that creation waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Romans 8, 19. 
It says there, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Well, first of all, who or who is this creature? Who is this creation? There are four prominent views as to what this creature and creation refers to. Number one is the church. Number two is the Jewish believers that wait for Christ. Number three is all of mankind. And then the fourth view, the material creation which God cursed at the fall of mankind. <clears throat> so we ask the question then, which one of these four makes sense with the context? In verse 19, the creature waits for the revealing of the sons of God. So the creature, would it be plants, animals, stones, and dirt? Well, they wouldn't have any desire for that. Who desires the revealing of the sons of God? Verse 19, the sufferings of this life, verse 20, and who have been dis delivered from the bondage of the corruption into glorious, uh, glorious liberty in verse 21? Well, the answer is Christians or the church. Christians are new creatures and the church is a creation of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, Ephesians 2, 15, says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man so making peace, the word make there is from the Greek word kidso, and Thayer's second definition of that word is to create. And this verb form of this is the verb form of the word translated creation or creature in Romans chapter 8. So one way we can endure the suffering of this life is to remember that we have a reward waiting for us. We should have an eager longing of what we will be like in our heavenly abode. Now the creation, the church, has been made subject to vanity. In Romans chapter 8 verse 20, we find there, for the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Well, the word vanity from the Greek word matiates, Thayer defines this way, that which is devoid of truth and appropriateness, perverseness, depravity, frailty, want of vigor. So the church or Christians, not by our own choice, we have been subjected to slackers, backsliders, quitters, false teachers, the wickedness of this world, and persecution. 
That's what the vanity is that we're speaking of there. The same one who gives us hope warns us of the evils that we will face in this life. Again, go back to Romans 8.20. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Well, deliverance is coming. And that's the second way we can overcome the struggles of this life. We know that deliverance is coming, Romans 8.21. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know, on the last day, the church or Christians will be delivered from the vanities of this life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 4, we read this. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that's this, that's this physical body, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from above. That would be that immortal body. Verse 3. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Mortality swallowed up with immortality. You see, then, whenever we are delivered from this life, we will no longer need to contend for the faith in Jude 3. Jude 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Well, on that day, that requirement will be over. All of God's creation groans and struggles now. That's Romans 8.22. Romans 8.22 says, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. See, Paul added the word whole to the creation there. Brother Robert Taylor made this comment, and I quote, whether Christians or non-Christians, we live in a veil of tears, in a world of woe, world of woe, in a climb of pain and suffering, unquote. You see, most of the human race never looks up to God, and most then have no hope. They never learn the lessons that the psalmist learned. I want to read two verses from Psalm 119. I'm going to read verse 67 and then verse 71. So Psalm 119.67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. In our afflictions, we are to depend on God and follow God, obey God. 
Now we go back to Romans 8.23. The apostles were groaning within themselves and waiting for their eternal adoption. Romans 8.23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now stopping there for a minute, the word ourselves there refers to the apostles. Continuing in the verse, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. You see, the apostles had the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in their use of the miraculous gifts. Paul makes a distinction between the church and Christians and the whole creation with the apostles. There's a distinction made there. You see, we are adopted into God's family on earth. That's the church, whenever we obey God's plan for our salvation. And we will be adopted into God's heavenly kingdom if we remain faithful. <clears throat> you know, Revelation 2.10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. Uh, you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Now in Romans chapter 8, verses 24 through 25, we see the vital nature of hope. You see, this is a third thing that helps us through the struggles of life, and that is our hope. Romans 8, 24 tells us that we are saved by hope. Romans 8.24 says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? The word hope found in this word, the Greek word elpida, elpidi, according to Moulton's lexicon, means insecurity with a guarantee. Our hope, it's a guarantee that God has given us. It's a security that God has given us. Hope expresses itself in three things, expectation, desire, and anticipation. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised before the world began. So we hope for that which is to be, not for what we already have. In Romans 8.25, we must patiently wait for the fulfillment of our hope. Romans 8.25 reads, But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. The word patience there, translated from the Greek word hupomene, Thayer defines hupomene this way, steadfastness, constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even by the greatest trials and suffering. So patience here would be a good definition is endurance. Faithfully enduring what is coming, what is happening. 
Patience involves endurance and steadfastness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, in another, a fourth thing that helps us through the struggles of this life is the intercession of the Holy Spirit. And that's Romans 8, 26 and 27, the intercession of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 26, you know, just as hope helps us to endure, so does the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 says, likewise, in other words, just like hope that we just read about, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The word likewise there from the Greek word hasatos, hasatos, get this right, hosatos, Thayer says means in like manner or likewise. So we find the Holy Spirit's help involves our prayers. The Holy Spirit helps our infirmities. The Greek word translated infirmities is athenia. And Thayer defines it as a want of strength, weakness, infirmity. R.L. Whiteside made this comment concerning this verse, and I quote, Every man who is devoted to the Lord finds times when deep down in his heart there are vague desires and longings and a sense of need that he is unable to put into words. These are the groanings that cannot be uttered. These are the groanings that the Holy Spirit conveys to the Father in our prayers. He is the heart searcher. He knows our innermost thoughts and our inexpressible desires and longings, unquote. And again, this is something the Holy Spirit does for us, not to us. In Romans 8.27, God knows our hearts. Romans 8.27. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, God knows our thoughts, our desires, our wants, and our longings. In Matthew 6.32, Jesus made this statement, Matthew 6.32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. You see, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and sincerity, or the lack thereof, and knows what we want to say even when we do not know what to say. God searches our minds through the agency of the Holy Spirit and does things according to his will. Now the word intercession there, the Greek word is intikano, and Strong defines the word as to chance upon, that is by implication, confer with, 
by extension to entreat in favor or against. Robertson's word pictures says it like this, and I quote, It is a picturesque word of rescue by one who happens on, and it gives the Greek word, one who is in trouble, and in behalf, Hooper, pleads with unuttered groanings in the instrumental case, or with sighs that baffle words, and that is according to Denny, unquote. So this intercession is done in God's presence in heaven, not on earth. In Romans 8, 28 to 30, we see all things working together providentially for our good. And that's a fifth thing that helps us through the struggles of this life. In Romans 8, 28, we find a precious promise. Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. That is something we know. It's not something that we wonder about or guess about or whatever. No, we know that all things work together, again, for good to them that love God to them that are called according to his purpose. Again, we know, not we wish, not we hope, not we think. All things that work together for our good does not include sinful activities. But it does not mean also that all things are going to be pleasant. You know, something can be good for us without being pleasant to us. In James 1, look at verses 2 and 3. James 1, 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. The word temptations there means trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's that endurance. In Hebrews 12:11, we read this, Hebrews 12:11. Now no chastening for the present seems, seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. So we may be chastened, and it's not, it's not joyous, it's grievous, but it works for us to bring us into our right relationship with God. Uh, Roy Deaver made this comment concerning that verse. Quote, There can be good in many things which in the providence of God are related, yet I may not be able to see the good in any of them until they are all brought together. Unquote. So these things work together for the good, for good, for those that love the Lord. Now, how do we show our love for the Lord? Well, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's how we show our love for him. And in verse 21 of John 14, it says there, he that keepeth, or he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. 
And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So if we are going to love God, we must be obedient. That's how we show our love. And those who are called, how are we called? We're called by the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2.14 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel, to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, 1 Peter 2.9, Peter wrote, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, it's just that some answer the call that is called the gospel, but most reject that call of the gospel. And in Romans 8.29, we find the plan was made before time began. Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So Paul is elaborating on the purpose of verse 28, and that is salvation for mankind. Now what about this foreknow? Foreknow is translated from a Greek word, prognosko. That means to know beforehand, that is, foresee. And the word predestinate from the Greek word perizo, which Thayer defines, and it's Thayer's definition I gave for the last word as well. Thayer defines perizo as to limit in advance, that is, figuratively, to predestinate or predetermine. So it means to design definitely beforehand. God did not select individuals to be lost or saved, but what God did, he approved what kind of character he would save, and that is the obedient. Those who accept the gospel call are those who are foreordained. The obedient were appointed to be conformed to the image of God's Son. In other words, live like Him. In Romans 14, 12, you know, we see God does not interfere with our free will. Romans 14, 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Now, if we were chosen before we ever even born, you're going to be saved, you're going to be lost, you're going to be saved, you're going to be solved, you twelve are going to be lost. We wouldn't be giving account of ourselves to God because God had already determined. But we have free will that God does not interfere with. J.W. McGarvey made this comment, quote, before man was created, God foresaw his fall and designed the gospel for his redemption. In those times eternal, man, the gospel, justification, etc., existed only in the purpose of God. 
And it is of these times and conditions that the apostle speaks, showing how God foreknew that a certain class yet to be born would accept a salvation yet to be made actual, unquote. In Romans 8.30, we find that those who obey the gospel will be glorified at the end of time, Romans 8.30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them also he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, those who are predestinated are those who obediently answer the call of the gospel. I want to read Second Thessalonians 2.14 again. It says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever that happens, we are justified from the guilt of sin. You know, in Acts 22.16, Acts 22.16, Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's when we're justified. And we will be glorified if we remain faithful. Romans 8, 17. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. And in Romans 8, 31 to 39, we find that we are more than conquerors through God. And this is a seventh thing that helps us through the struggles of this life. We are more than conquerors through God. In Romans 8.31, we find that it does not matter who is against us if God is for us. Romans 8.31. What shall we say, or shall, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? You know, this is the summary of what Paul has been saying. These things refers to what God has done to ensure our salvation. Christ, the gospel. And this is great encouragement to us as we go through the pain and suffering of this life. You know, who, if, who, who, who can be against us? Sometimes it's our family. It may be a spouse, a mother, a father, a son, a daughter, aunt, uncle, whatever. It may be a job. It may be a neighbor. It may be our own pleasures. But if those things are against us and God is for us, we can always go with God. You see, God freely gave us the most precious gift he had, and he will not withhold any of the lesser things that are good for us, Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You know, in Romans 5.8, we find that the generosity of God's grace abounds beyond our ability to understand. Romans 
But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 5.13, we can know that if we are faithful, we will receive the reward God has promised us on the last day. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So we can know these things. We don't have to guess. We don't have to hope on that if we remain faithful. In Romans 8, 33 and 34, no one can be successful in laying any charge against those that are obedient to God. That would be the elect. Romans 8, 33 and 34. says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even all, even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So we've already seen that the Holy Spirit helps with our prayers, and Christ here also makes intercession for us. And God will not lay any charge against the faithful, because he has justified them. Romans 3.24 says being freely just or being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus and Jesus will not lay any charge against them because he died for them Romans 8 4 uh, excuse me Romans 4:25 Romans 4:25 says of Jesus who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification in 1 Corinthians 6.11, the Holy Spirit will not lay any charge against those who are faithful because they obeyed his word. 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And you know the devil can't lay any charge against the faithful because he is powerless against God's faithful. James 4, 7. James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. In other words, be faithful to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Doesn't mean he's not coming back. But resist him and he will flee. And evil people cannot lay any charge against the faithful because they are as weak as the devil as long as the faithful stand fast or stand firm. 1 Peter 3.16 1 Peter 3.16 says, Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation, that would be your good lifestyle, in Christ. And Christ is now at the right hand of God to make our case for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So he is our mediator. In Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 
Hebrews 8, 6, we read, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And in Hebrews 9, 15, Hebrews 9, 15, And for this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Again, there's that word called again, called by the gospel. We understand that. And he's the mediator of the New Testament by means of death. And he also redeemed transgressions that were under the first testament as well. In Romans 8.35, we find seven impersonal events that cannot separate us from our love for God or his love for us. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Shall they? Tribulation, thlipsis, Thayer's second definition of that word, metaphorically oppression, affliction, tribulation, distress, or straits. The word distress translated from stenochoria, Thayer's second definition again, metaphorically dire calamity, extreme affliction. And then persecution from diogmas, and Theodos defines it as persecution. You know, in Matthew 5.11, Jesus made this statement. Matthew 5.11. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Then we find famine. Limos. Thayer says it means through the idea of destitution, a scarcity of food. Nakedness, from the Greek word konotes. There says it means nakedness of the body. That would mean not having clothing to clothe with. Peril, kendunos. There says it means a danger or a peril. And then sword, makaira. We kind of hear the word machete in that. Thayer says it means a large knife used for killing animals and cutting up flesh. Adam Clark, in his commentary, made this comment about the verse, and I quote, Slaughter, the total destruction of life, and especially beheading, and such like, done by the order of the civil magistrate, unquote. You see, a faithful Christian will not allow himself to be separated from the love of Christ even in death. In Romans 8.35, Romans 8.35 again, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? You know, the beheading was a cruel death that became commonplace for Christians under Nero. This tribulation, not just beheading, this persecution, nakedness. They were cast into the ring naked, you know, again, eaten by lions, killed by gladiators, whatever. They were killed. 
in Psalm 44. Let's look at verses 22 to 26 because we're going to see this is where the next statement comes from in Romans chapter 8 there. Psalm 44, 22 to 26 says, Yea, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awakest, awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Wherefore hidest thou thy face, and forgettest our affliction and our oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly cleaveth unto the earth. Arise for our help, and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Well, in Romans chapter 8, verse 36, Romans 8, 36 says, As it is written, For thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And that's where we just read there in the Psalms. But we find the answer in Romans eight thirty seven. We are more than conquerors through Christ. Romans 8.37 says, Nay. In other words, no. You know, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Through all those things, we are more than conquerors and him that loved us through Christ. All these things list, refers to those things listed before the tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, and sword. We are more than conquerors. Those three words come from one Greek word, hupernakao. And Thayer says it means to be more than a conqueror to gain a surpassing victory. Vincent's word studies says of that phrase, a victory which is more than a victory, more than conquerors. Barnes said concerning the verse, and I quote, We gain the victory. That is, they have not power to subdue us, to alienate our love and confidence, to produce apostasy. We are the victors, not they. Our faith is not destroyed. Our love is not diminished. Our hope is not blasted. But it is not simple victory. It is not mere life and continuance of what we had before. It is more than simple triumph. It augments our faith, increases our strength, expands our love to Christ, unquote. You know, in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven, we are victorious because of Christ's love for us. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-seven. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, nothing can separate us from God's love. Only we can separate ourselves. In Romans eight thirty-eight to 39, Paul says, For I am persuaded. And I want to stop there. Those three, four words, for I am persuaded, or I am persuaded, those three, come from the Greek word patho. Thayer's third definition is to trust, have confidence, be confident. So he's saying, I am confident, for I am persuaded 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Death. Death is physical death. It separates us from our physical body. But it doesn't separate us from God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, look at verse 7. Ecclesiastes 12, 7. It says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So in physical death, our body returns to the, dirt, to the earth to turn into dust, but our spirit returns to God. And life with all of its heartaches and all of its struggles can't separate us from God's love. You'll look at Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul wrote there, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You know, angels and principalities, that refers to two different ranks of evil angels. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13. Ephesians 6, 11 to 13 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. <clears throat> We are in a spiritual battle. Now the powers there refers to civil powers and rulers that make laws that are against God's will. In Acts 5.29, Acts 5.29, read, we read, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Maybe we should think about the things that were instructed by our government during the COVID-19 fiasco. We ought to obey God rather than men. Well, things present and things to come are both time factors. Things that we are enduring right now cannot separate us from God's love. In 2 Thessalonians 1.4, 2 Thessalonians 1.4 says there, So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. They were going through these persecutions and tribulations when it was written right now for them. But then neither can things that are going to come separate us from God's love. Remember Revelation 2.10? 
Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. They're not suffering those things yet. They will be suffering those things in the future. And what are they? Some of them cast into prison, tried, have tribulation ten days. You know, the word ten there in the Greek, or, uh, you know, it symbolically represents completeness. It is a complete amount of time for God's purpose to be accomplished. That's what he's talking about there. And then he says, Be faithful unto death, I'll give thee the crown of life. In Psalm 139.8, we find height and depth are extremes above and below, but they cannot separate us from God's love. Psalm 139.8, If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my belly in hell, it's the Hebrew word Sheol, could be the grave, could mean uh, Hades, the realm of unseen spirits. Behold, thou art there. God is all, everywhere. And then it mentions height. The word height there can mean space. It can mean giants. It can mean the unseen. The word depth can mean also sharks or the unseen. Or no other creature can separate us from God's love. You know, in case someone can think of something that does not fit in any of these other categories, it fits here. No other creature. You know, there's no other creature, though. In Romans chapter 18, excuse me, chapter 8, verses 18 to 39, these are comforting and thrilling verses, but we must be careful. As wonderful as God's love is, he is not going to force us to serve him. You see, that's up to us. We make our own decisions, and we can lose our souls if we do not obey him. But if we will faithfully serve God, all of these wonderful promises will come to us. I want to finish the lesson today with Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 117, verses 1 and 2. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Well, again, this is Don Boyd. I want to thank you for tuning in to opening the scriptures today. And Lord willing, we'll begin in Romans chapter 9 in our next session. So thanks for being with us. And we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Way Media by visiting our website, BibleWayMedia.org. You can find all of our podcasts on all major podcast platforms. As always, we thank you for listening.